Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Brad, and I'm one of the pastors here. Antioch Kids, before you go, I just want to share a few things about today. We're beginning our annual Antioch Family Series that's titled, I Am Not My Own, just like the song that we sang a bit ago. We'll sing that each Sunday during this series. And I want to begin today with a very sobering topic. In 2019, an investigation of the Southern Baptist Convention revealed over 700 cases of sexual abuse from leaders in 380 churches, some of whom, in the name of church autonomy, were allowed to either remain in their positions or move from church to church, perpetrating the same crimes. Then in 2022, another investigation revealed that not only did some SVC leaders know about these perpetrators, but they also hid their abuse and in some cases ignored and belittled the victims in order to, quote, protect the base of the SVC. Now in response, as a church, we launched something called the Sexual Abuse Care Team about a year ago. And this faithful group of men and women met over the course of the past year with two purposes in mind to help Antioch proactively prevent abuse in our midst and to help Antioch reactively care for those in our midst who have experienced abuse at some point in their lives. In other words, to sum this up, we want Antioch Church to be safe for survivors and safe from abuse. Unto that end, the sexual abuse care team is now called the Safe Church Team. And much of what you hear today and in family groups this week is a result of their ongoing work. And so let's let this team of people know how grateful we are for them today. Also as a way to come alongside parents in this important topic, we have ordered copies of the book, God Made All of Me, a book to help children protect their bodies. These are over on the side table. They are free. Parents, please grab one, one per household. I recognize the topic of this morning's message is both needed and potentially upsetting. If you think it is best for you or your children to step out of this sermon, I want you to know that that is perfectly fine. I'm going to invite us to pray, to invite God's help to address this topic and then to also facilitate privacy for anyone who feels the need to step out. Church, let's pray. God, we bow before you, and as we have already confessed and lamented this morning, our hearts grieve the reality of these things. And yet, Father, you call us to bring what is in the darkness into the light, and so we don't hold back in shame over the reality of these things, but we bring them into the light, we talk about them, we address them, so that we can care for those in our midst or who may someday be in our midst who have survived such terrible things, and so that we may be a church that is safe from abuse for those who are vulnerable in our midst. Lord, you've given us so many children. Thank you so much for such sweet gifts. God, we pray your protection over each and every one of them, both in the context of this church and in every sphere of their lives, that they would be able to grow up without having experienced this, that if they do, God forbid, that they would be cared for and restored in a community like this. Father, guide us in the rest of this sermon today, though it be a bitter topic. May we learn and grow from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Antioch kids, your teachers, and you may be dismissed to go to your classes at this time. Church, let's say this together. You are sent. 
Young disciples, there are sermon guides over here on the side table for you. I want to encourage you to pick one up. That way you can follow along with the sermon as we go today. Now, why does this matter? And is it really that big of a deal? Well, let me answer with some heartbreaking statistics. One in three women and one in four men have experienced sexual violence involving physical contact at some point in their lives. Over one-third of all sexual assaults involve the victim who is under the age of 12. One-third of all child sexual abuse cases are peer-to-peer. 60% of child sexual abuse victims never tell anyone. 90% of child sexual abuse victims know the perpetrator personally. And out of every 1,000 sexual assaults, 995 will walk free. That's why this matters. That's why it's a big deal. Brothers and sisters... Sexual abuse is real, and we cannot downplay it any longer. Not just in the culture, not just in the Catholic Church, but right here in our own churches. Right here in the very places that should be the greatest refuges for the most vulnerable. For that reason today, I want to talk about the refuge from Psalm 116, verses 1 and 2, and Psalm 9, verses 9 and 10. Young disciples, you'll want to write those down for your sermon guides. And just as I've relied on for these statistics, I'm going to be utilizing resources from the Caring Well Challenge for today's sermon. Two applications that I'm going to be making this morning. First, because God listens, we must listen. And second, because God is a refuge, we must be a refuge. With that said, please stand with me to honor the reading of God's word. And if you're not able to stand, just stand with us in your hearts. Again, today's passage is Psalm 9, 9 through 10, and 116, 1 and 2. Church, hear the word of the Lord. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Church, the Lord has spoken to us. Let's respond together. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. All right, anybody want to hear a story about the time, or a time, among a few, that I went to jail? Anybody want to hear that? I know my girls love to hear these stories. So I was leading a short-term mission trip to East Africa, and I was going ahead of the team to care for a few missionaries that were in the region, and I had a layover at an airport, and against uh, good wisdom, I decided I would get out of the airport and go check out the town. And so while I was walking down the street with my big old luggage backpack on and my side bag that had all my travel documents in it, two little boys approached me, and one wanted me to buy a magazine, so he shoved it up into my chest about right here, 
while the other boy came around and put his fingernails into my arm and started to claw me to the point of breaking the skin. Now, instead of punching these kids in the face, which would have been inappropriate, I was looking at this one trying to get him off of my arm. And while I was doing that, the other boy underneath the magazine, unbeknownst to me, was reaching into my side bag and pulling out my travel wallet, which had my passport, my driver's license, credit cards, etc., including $1,500 cash. Not good. I didn't realize what had happened, and they disappeared until I went to lunch and thankfully went to pull out my wallet before I ordered any food and realized it was gone. And so it was like being delirious because I was so shocked and didn't know what to do. I was wandering the streets. I didn't have a phone that would work. I couldn't connect with anybody I personally knew. And there was no internet to get a shout out to someone. And so I finally saw a police officer. I went and explained to him what happened. And he took me to the jail and they detained me. Because in many countries, you are actually guilty until proven innocent. And so, all this to say, among the people where I should have been listened to, there were no ears to hear. And in the place that should have been a refuge, there was no help on the way. This summer, we experienced a similar situation as we studied the book of Exodus, didn't we? There we saw the people of Israel being oppressed by the Egyptians. Going back to Genesis, because of Joseph, God had not only blessed the people of Israel, he had also blessed Egypt. But the newest Pharaoh had forgotten this and had no reverence for the one true God. So he enslaved God's people and killed their infants. And God's people should have been listened to there. And Egypt should have been a refuge for them until they were led out to the promised land. But their cries were not heard. Yet the story told us there was someone who did listen. Who was it? God. We read in Exodus chapter 3, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them. What kind of a God is this? Man, let's just sit and admire him for a second. When it comes to the abuses of the most vulnerable, God takes it personal. He says, I have come down to deliver them. But then what does he do? Interestingly, he says to Moses, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people out of Egypt. If you remember from our sermon series, what we discern from that, that God would be the deliverer and Moses would be the means. And this is where we get our first application this morning. Because God listens. Young disciples, you need that. We must listen. You need that one too. When God answers the cries of the abused in our day, the church should be his means of delivering them, just like Moses. The survivors of sexual abuse need the church to be for them, not against them. Let us beware, church. Those who perpetrate abuse and protect abusers are making themselves out to be enemies of God. Just like Pharaoh. They are opposed to the human flourishing that God intended from the beginning of creation. And here's what this kind of opposition often lacks. Compassionate 
listening. Ears to hear that have empathy and care. And when we skip listening and we just start doing, it often feels unsafe to survivors. Understanding and empathy are what makes actions feel safe. Listen to these words from the psalmist. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. Here the psalmist has clearly had a personal experience of God hearing his cries and answering him. Now this reminds me of the little character Perito in the film Puss in Boots. Have I seen this lately? Okay, it's recently come out. Now, Perito has had a terrible life, hasn't he? Terrible because of the abuse of his owners. They do all kinds of awful things to him as he tells his story. And then as a final act of cruelty, they put him into a sock with a heavy rock. And they tie the top and they throw him into a river. Now, Perito thankfully chews his way out. And what you see him wearing is actually that old sock that's kind of like a sweater to him. And when Perito experiences the tiniest of attention from puss, he becomes bound to him for life. Now this is similar to our relationship with God. In our pain, we call on him. And when he answers us and gives us attention, we're like a rescued animal. We continue to come to him because we know he listens and we love him for it. Likewise, God's church should be a place where survivors of sexual abuse can know that they will be heard. Not told it's their fault. Now, here someone may say, well, shouldn't the church also be a place of restoration for sexual abusers? Yes. And what about opportunists who make false accusations? Won't that tear churches apart? It surely can. But the thing is, That isn't the most pressing question of our historical moment. The most pressing question is, will churches who have not listened well to survivors now listen to their cries the way that the Lord listens? Will we be a refuge to the wounded and the most vulnerable? That's the question. And that brings us to our second application this morning. Because God is a refuge, young disciples, there's your word, We must be a refuge. In Psalm 9, we read these words. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. Young disciples, there's a word for you. O Lord, you have not forsaken those who seek you. The word that is translated here as the oppressed is a vivid word that can be translated as the crushed. And a form of the word is used elsewhere in Psalm 74, 21 to refer to those who have been beaten down. And such vivid imagery of being crushed and beaten down explains why Eugene Peterson paraphrased Psalm 9:9 like this. God is a safe house for the battered, a sanctuary in bad times. You see, church, throughout the Bible, battered and oppressed people are invited to find refuge in the Lord. Psalm 34, 18, young disciples write down one of these references. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Malachi 3, verse 5, 
I, the Lord says, will draw near to judge. I will be a swift witness against those who oppress. Luke 4, 18. He has sent me, Jesus says, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. So here's what this means for us. Because God is a refuge, we, His people, should be a refuge like Him. And that not only means being a church that's safe for survivors, but also safe from abuse. It's making sure that we are a place where sexual abuse cannot take place. It's a community that knows how to be on guard for the sake of the many children entrusted to us. We talked about this at family meeting if you were there. We need to help one another be on guard, looking around, looking for grooming, looking for anything that could be a sign of something inappropriate taking place. Now, why are churches particularly vulnerable to child abusers? Well, Pastor Deepak Reju, who is author of On Guard, Preventing and Responding to Child Abuse at Church, he responds with these three primary reasons. First of all, Many believers are ignorant about this issue of child abuse. They don't want to bother bother with such an icky subject, he says. And because Christians don't know the extent of the problem, they don't guard against it. This kind of ignorance can lead to a naivete that makes children vulnerable. Another reason is that too many churches provide easy access to children. Sexual offenders know that churches are always looking for help with children's ministry and are often facing shortages of volunteers. They know that volunteers are often late, cancel at the last minute, or don't show up for their service. So sexual predators show up at churches eager to make themselves known and ready to serve. No other organization provides such quick and easy access to kids besides churches. A third reason is cheap grace. If a sexual offender is actually caught, he or she counts on cheap grace. Grace that comes freely and with little cost. Abusers are not dumb. They know that if they cry, offer words of contrition, and promise to never do it again, that they are likely to avoid significant consequences. Pastors and churches are forgiving, as we should be, right? We are quick to apply the gospel and slow them. Here's the problem. Slow to apply the consequences that come from the law. And instead of this, God calls us to be vigilant. This is reflected in Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 3. Do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed. And do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless and the widow, nor shed innocent blood. In this place. This reminds me of what happened that time that I sat in jail. I managed to send out a message to a missionary family that lived in the city, and immediately they came to my rescue. They came, they got me out of jail, they took me into their home, they listened to my traumatic story, and they helped me get an emergency passport so that I could travel again. They were the definition of a refuge to me. They were a reflection of the refuge that God has become to us, even though it came at a great cost. 
You see, all of us have abused God's perfect law, haven't we? All of us have taken advantage of others in one way or another, haven't we? Because of our sin, all of us lost our right to find refuge in God. But God heard our cries and came down to rescue us anyways. And He did it by sending His own Son, Jesus Christ. Do you know why that God can so deeply identify with the oppressed? Because He Himself became oppressed. Jesus was despised himself and rejected by us, betrayed, beaten, nailed to a cross. That is the ultimate expression of not being listened to. And in the place where he should have been gladly welcomed, there was no refuge for him. The Gospel of John tells us he came to his own and his own people, his own people, did not receive him. Why? So that he could be a safe house for the battered. A sanctuary during bad times. He looked upon us as his lost children. And he took on our greatest oppressors, sin and death. Therefore, Peter writes to us, For Christ also suffered for sins once for all time. The just for the unjust. That's us. So that he might bring us to God. Jesus Christ is the refuge for sinners. And when we recognize that and we say, yes, man, I need that refuge, we become like Perito. Silly as that sounds. We become like ones who call on God as long as we live, knowing that He hears us. And when we doubt that He hears us, we just look to the cross and we say, before we really even cried out to Him, He was taking the initiative to come and rescue us. I want to ask you, would you take that refuge today? Whether for the first time or the thousandth time. And if you would, then that means that you can become like him. You can listen to the cries of survivors. You can be a refuge for the most vulnerable. And then what does that mean for us as the body of Christ here at Antioch Church? It means that we are a community that is safe for survivors and safe from abuse. Let me get specific. That means that we have policies in place such as conducting background checks on folks. Checking out even our visitors and seeing what might be. It means things like making sure there are two vetted adults with children at all times, in the Sunday gathering and in family groups and at events. Now that doesn't mean that you see there's a moment where one adult gets caught with a group of children and you say, bad on that adult. No, it means that you go, all right, I've got a few minutes here. I'm going to step in and help. All right? We're, we're, not, we're not becoming accusers here. We're becoming a community who helps one another to do these things. It means that children should remain in the same room as their parents at the Sunday gathering, not running down the halls, not running into classrooms and closing doors. That's all it takes is 30 seconds. Okay? It means that we maintain our security team, that we are wise and that we are conscious of who is coming in and out and what's happening around the facility during the Sunday gathering. 
It means that leaders should complete advanced training on prevention. That way they can have more than a background check. They can be aware of what things like grooming looks like. It means that we should have an annual Safe Church Sunday like today to remind ourselves of these things because it's so easily forgotten. It means that we should be quick to report to the legal authorities. And it means that all physical touch in our midst should be appropriate and welcomed by the other person. It also means that we continue to develop a soul care team that can provide care for survivors and that can also provide referrals to professional Christian counselors when the needs are greater than what we can supply as a church. Church, when we are being a refuge like this, we are a testimony to the world. And we are a taste of the new creation where God's people will be protected forever. And may that encourage you as you together come to the Lord's table today. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and after blessing it, he broke it. He gave it to his disciples. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he took a cup of wine and after Blessing it, he gave it to his disciples. He said, this marks the new covenant and the shedding of my blood. As often as you eat this bread and you drink from this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he returns. Today, church, let's announce this together. Through Jesus, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Our tradition here at Antioch is to come forward if you're a baptized believer Whether or not you are a member of this church, you're welcome at the Lord's table. You break off a piece of bread, you dip it into the juice, taking it, remembering what Christ has done for you as the refuge that he is, and also proclaiming in this act that he will be an eternal refuge to all who put their trust in him. There'll be gluten-free available over on this side if you need that. If you're here today and you're a believer but you've not yet been baptized, hey, that's the first act of obedience to show that you now have a Lord over your life, that he is king and not you anymore. And if you're here today and you are not a believer, rather than coming and taking the sign, we would encourage you to take what the sign points to, and that is Christ himself. If you turn from your life, your striving to be good enough, or your excuses that you're too bad for him, and instead you put your trust in what he has done for you, he instantly will save you now and forever, forgiving your sins, past, present, and future, and making you part of his family so that you can come to this table the very next week. Church, there'll be people in the back to pray with anyone who has any need. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you this morning. We thank you for the power of your word to speak into our life, to change us, to convict our hearts, and yet also at the same time to comfort us. Lord, we thank you that you have become a refuge to us, that you are a God who really before we even cried out was taking the initiative to come down and to save us, to give us a way out so that we could know you, so that we could be ones like Perito, who cry out to you and know that we are heard. And so we learn to cry out to you for the rest of our lives.
And God, we thank you that you are this refuge to us such that we can embody you in the context of the local church. Again, Lord, we grieve the things that have happened in churches throughout our country. And we pray that it would stop and there would be no more and that churches would listen. They would heed and they would report and they would do the things that are necessary in their midst to protect. And Father, we pray against the enemy's hand in our midst that he would wield any, anything, anyone um, to cause harm. We pray for those who may experience temptation to do such things and ask that you would help them to bring those things into the light that they might find in you a refuge and the strength to not act upon them. Father in heaven, we pray for survivors in our midst and those outside of our midst that they would find a refuge in you and expressed powerfully in the body of Christ. Father, bring healing. Father, bring hope. Lord, let us take these things seriously and yet also be comforted that one day, coming soon, you will make all things new. There will be no more of these things. Thank you, Lord. Bless us as we come to your table. In Jesus' name, amen.